It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Uh, Hey, so this is week three of this series, Change Your World in 52 Days, where we're doing just a four-week flyover of some of the high points of the life and leadership of a guy named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah entered into the pages of history after the Jewish people had been uh, defeated in Jerusalem and essentially exiled by the Babylonians and had been living in various parts of the known world in exile for 140 years. And it wasn't enough for the Babylonians to just defeat and run the Jews out of Jerusalem. They also took the time to destroy the city of Jerusalem, the temple, the buildings, the walls, the gates, the whole enchilada. And the city had been laying in ruins for 140 years. So Nehemiah enters the pages of history and we find him living and working in the palace of the king of Persia, who by this time, Persia had defeated the Babylonians. So Babylonians had defeated the Jewish people. Now the Persians had defeated the Babylonians and now the Persians had inserted themselves as the new superpower of that particular region. Nehemiah was working in the palace of the king like a butler kind of job, nothing very glam. Uh, And this palace was about 1,600 kilometres away from Jerusalem. In those days, you know, you might as well have been on another planet to be 1,600 kilometres away. And uh, Nehemiah received a visit from his brother and some of their mates and, and asked his brother, you know, how goes it back in Jerusalem? Because by this stage, the Persians, when they took over, they allowed a remnant of Jewish people to go back and re-enter Jerusalem. And those, that remnant, they'd had a go at trying to rebuild the city try and rebuild the temple, try and rebuild the gates, the walls. And let's just say this, they sucked. It didn't go well for them. And, and in fact, the, the, the problem became not just that the city lay in ruins, but they'd actually got discouraged. Like, we're hopeless. We can't even do this. And so Nehemiah asked his brother, you know, how's it going? Because he didn't know, it wasn't on uh, nightly news or anything back then. And his brother said, yeah, not very well. Uh, the city's still in ruins. Now, if anybody had a reason to deflect when they heard that news, it was Nehemiah. Like, uh, I'm 1,600 kilometres away. Not my problem. And by the way, this, this ruins the, 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 the fact that our ancestors uh, turned their back on God and God allowed the city to be destroyed. That, that, that happened like five, six, seven generations ago. Nothing to do with me. Like, don't pin that on me. Like, this is like ancient news. It's 1,600 kilometres away. Not my problem. However, that wasn't Nehemiah's response. His response is that God just ignited within him this burden to want to be used by God to insert himself. In, in, but he'd never been to Jerusalem. 
<laughs> it's 140 years ago when they were kicked out. He had been there. And he's now going to insert himself into Jerusalem and try to allow God to use him to lead a new charge to rebuild the walls. And so his starting point was to approach the king who was his boss and ask for the king to send him back to Jerusalem to release him, but to send him. And then also Nehemiah was smart enough to ask if the king would provide letters of recommendation, like, you know, influence, and also uh, access to some of the forests that were in the region so that the Jewish people could have some physical resources. Now, I just want to push pause on how things went next to highlight this reality is you will and I will be very unlikely to have everything we need at the jump off point to achieve what God's ultimately called us to do, right? In fact, Nehemiah, he had no financial resources, no physical resources, no human resources, and no experience. Looks like he's not the guy for the job. I mean, everything points to him not being the guy for the job. And what I've observed is too many people look at that and, and, and have, that own, have that experience, feel like God's calling them to something, but don't have everything that's gonna be required at the jump off point and draw the wrong conclusion and say, well, God mustn't actually be calling me to do this because if He was, then He would provide what I need, right? Which is true. However, it's important we understand God's provision is almost always an unfolding drama, not a lotto win. In fact, here's the other thing that we often miss. God's provision almost always comes in seed form. And we go, is that it? <clears throat> the one, Nehemiah had one thing. And this is, the, this is the big, this is the pro tip here. Nehemiah, he didn't have physical resources, financial resources, human resources or experience, but he looked at what he did have and he had one thing, one th just one, but it was something. It was the ear of the king. And so that's what he used. He asked the king for influence and resources and to be sent by the king. When God calls us to do something, it's important to have some awareness of what we're going to need and to not deny if, that we don't have that yet. But, but that's not the starting point. The starting point is what do I have? What's in my hand? And it might just look like a seed. Well, guess what? Plant the seed and trust that God is going to allow that to grow. Now, if you missed either the first two weeks of this series, you can go to our podcast. It's available on all the platforms. Type in Elevate Church Perth and ba-bing, we'll be there. Today, 
I'm gonna drop us into Nehemiah chapter two. So if you've got your uh, phone, you can scan the flow code, take it to Nehemiah chapter two in the message. And by the way, I'm gonna put the verses up on the screen and some of you know that. So you're like, well, why would I take my phone out? And that's okay. Sometimes it's to scroll Instagram because the preaching's boring. Um, but uh, just so you know, if you're not familiar with the Bible app, you can actually like highlight verses, add notes in the actual app, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this is why we say, just encourage you, it's not compulsory, it's up there. All right. Now, at this point that I'm gonna drop us into, Nehemiah had traveled the 1600 kilometers to Jerusalem. He'd done an inspection, like walk the city, like assess what things, you know, how things are. I mean, he's been told by his brother they're bad. Well, let's find out just how bad he's done that. And then he started gathering people and he started casting fresh vision to them to build the wall. So, so Churchill famously said, leaders are dealers in hope. And, and Nehemiah's starting point was to start to speak and inject fresh hope into a remnant who'd actually tried to do this previously. But Along comes a new leader with a fresh voice, a fresh perspective, fresh energy, and started injecting fresh hope. Now, here's uh, one of Marco's pro tips in, in leadership. When God has called you to do something, the question can't be, can we do it? The question needs to shift to, how can we do it? See, this is answered. God's called us, this is answered. Can we do it? This is, this, don't, just move on. Ask a better question. Not can we do it, how can we do it? This speaks to resources. This speaks to what are we going to do? What's the process? What's the strategy? Hope isn't a strategy, although hope's a good starting point. Now it's how can we do this? What do we have available? What extra things are we going to need to do? What skills are we going to need to develop? Do we need to get more people on board? Do we need to ask the King of Persia for some more? But it's, it, the better question isn't can we do it? That's answered. God's called you. Yeah, you can. How can we do it? And this is what Nehemiah starts to talk with the people about. And they started to respond to hope, to vision. They said, let like excitedly sign up, let us start rebuilding. And so they began the good work. Yes, wonderful. And then in true Hollywood fashion, just when things started to get rolling, little bit of fresh momentum, bit of fresh movement, opposition showed up because that's what happens when you start doing something for God. Opposition shows up. In fact, opposition isn't a sign that you're doing something wrong. It's almost a sign you're doing something right. See, the devil, if you're doing something wrong, you're gonna face consequences, but you're not gonna face opposition. The devil's gonna be going, yeah, keep it going. Woohoo, my man, run into the wall. Woohoo, destroy your life and the people around you. Fantastic, he couldn't be happier doing something wrong, he's not gonna stand in your way. Start doing something right. And then the devil's like, oh, Houston, we have a problem. 
and he's gonna wanna start shot blocking. He's gonna wanna interject himself into the, in your way. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official and Gershom the Arab heard about it, heard about that they'd, you know, version 3.0 or wherever they're up to, having a go at rebuilding the walls in the city. They laughed at us, mocking, what do you think you're doing? Do you think you can cross the king? Now, these three jokers were political officials. They weren't Jewish people. They were outsiders. But they felt they needed to weigh in. Keyboard warriors. <laughs> Keyboard warriors are not a new phenomenon. This is the exact same thing going on here. People who, and you, it's not that it wasn't any of their business. Uh, in fact, where they felt threatened was that they realized that if the Jewish people get this done, their power and influence is going to be threatened. So they wanted to keep the status quo and they realized that they didn't have an appointed role to stop the Jewish people doing it. So let's just, let's just start chirping at them. Bit of discouragement. Because if we can discourage, because they've just got some new courage, if we can take that courage out of them, then we're going to be able to keep them down like they've been for the last 140 years and we'll be able to stay rich and powerful like we've gotten accustomed to. And this is the first type of discouragement, external discouragement. Now, external discouragement comes in two forms. One in the form of obstacles, and I'm not going to talk about that today, but, but, but they will happen. Uh, lack of resources, some sort of setback, you know, you hit a barrier that you didn't see coming, you know, that, that's going to happen as you progress. So that's a type of, and, 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 and it's possible to get discouraged by that. Then the, then the other type, so obstacles, is <coughs> criticism. And that's what this looked like. <coughs> criticism, people who think that somehow their best contribution is to try and chop you down at the knees, try and hold you back, try and restrict you from what God's called you to do. <clears throat> now, I took on uh, the leadership role here about just over 13 years ago, and uh, we came in with a fresh ministry approach, trying to build a new culture, different culture, fresh culture. And um, anyway, I remember one Sunday very early on, <clears throat> I'd finish preaching and we're kind of wrapping things up and you know then I start doing the thing just you know mixing and mingling and uh and I got to about here actually I got to exactly here and somebody like I get ambushed a lot like it's just occupational hazard and that's okay because most of the ambushing is by people like Peter who want to come up and say that was fantastic God really spoke to me I was so encouraged by that and I say oh man great tell me more I want to really know what God's doing you know pop the hood give me some some more encouragement by what God's spoken to you about well on this particular Sunday this wasn't the sort of feedback that I was about to receive uh, old mate got up in my business and said and I quote I know what you're trying to do and it won't work. And then turned around and walked away, which by the way, was an answer to my prayer. Uh, <clears throat> and I haven't seen old mate since. So I don't know if old mate knew what I was trying to do because, you know, and, and then old mate didn't know whether ever stick around to find out if it's going to work. 
But here's the thing. If you don't want to ever get criticised, just don't do anything. Problem solved. But when you do get criticised because you're stepping forward and doing something for God, when? Uh, how you respond matters. Yeah. By the way, one of my superpowers is I almost, don't, I, almost, I, I almost never say anything. I just like, I don't even dignify your stupidity with a comment. It, it, you should try it sometime. Someone like says something like, that's just so egregious and dumb. Like literally go poker face. I got a great poker face. Go poker face and say nothing. Just try it. It knocks people off their axis like you wouldn't believe. But it's not designed to be a game or it's just to say. Anyway, Nehemiah didn't take that approach. He decided he needed to say something. And so he shot back. The God of heaven <laughs> will make sure we succeed. You don't understand who I work for. You don't understand who gave me this assignment. I don't work for you. I mean, you're entitled to an opinion. It's wrong. You can have it, but you can keep it. It's not going to influence me because I don't work for you. I don't answer to you. You don't get to do my KPIs. And sometimes that's the end of it. And sometimes it's not. Because sometimes critics are persistent. And they assume if you don't react and do what they've asked you to do, that you mustn't have listened. <laughs> you think, no, I listened and I didn't agree and I kept doing what God called me to do. Then they double down. Now, read through chapter three in your own time, you'll see the progress that the people made. Amazing how uh, Nehemiah sliced and diced and got this group over there working on that. And this just is a, it's a leadership and organizational and project management masterclass. Read it for yourself, chapter three. And then chapter four, this is Nehemiah writing, verse one. When Sanballat, ah, you again, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he exploded in anger, vilifying the Jews. In the company of his Samaritan cronies and military, he let loose, what are these miserable Jews doing? Remember, they've been used to the Jews being down and out for over a century. And now the status quo is shifting. Do they think they can get everything back to normal overnight, make building stones out of make-believe? And at his side, old mate Tobiah the Ammonite jumped in and said, that's right. What do they think they're building? This is a classic. Why, if a fox climbed on that wall, it would fall to pieces under his weight. So this is the sort of stuff that Nehemiah's now butting up against, leading this new charge, chirping, chirping, chirping from the outside, chirping, chirping, chirping from the outside, chirping, chirping, chirping. And that can get real old real quick, right? In fact, can we have an honest moment here now? Is that okay? Put on your big boy and your big girl pants. Great. Fantastic. Uh, have you ever started to do something from God and experienced some criticism and rather than pushing back against the critics, have you ever started having a whinge to God? 
<laughs> I mean, that's a pretty Aussie thing to do too, by the way. So much so we have our own word for it, whinging. Imagine if Nehemiah was an Aussie and he decided, because he's getting the critics coming at him, to have a whinge to God. God, don't you know I left the palace to do this? Don't you know I travelled 1,600 kilometres on foot, across the desert, no air conditioning to do this? Don't you know this wasn't even my problem to fix? God, you can take this. I mean, it's just not fair. And you throw your toys out of the cart and you quit on the assignment. Well, thankfully, Nehemiah did not. Yeah, he was getting chirped at. And he did what we consistently see Nehemiah do as he exercised a superpower that we all have access to. Nehemiah prayed. Yeah. Not to the critics. <laughs> Shut up and leave me alone. No, he prayed to the God that called him to do the work in the first place. Oh, listen to us, not to me, to us, dear God. We're so despised. So, okay, and by the way, you're about to discover, maybe he was Aussie. Boomerang their ridicule on their heads. Have their enemies cart them off as war trophies to a land of no return. Don't forgive their iniquity. Don't wipe away their sin. They've insulted the builders. And we kept at it, repairing and rebuilding the wall. Here's Nehemiah's pro-response. Take it to God and get back to work. Take it to God. I don't have time for this. God, you deal with it. We're busy doing the good work. God, you handle them. And by the way, take no prisoners. And we're just going to get back to work. These guys need to be shut up. Someone needs to punish them, but it's not going to be me. We're busy doing the good work that you've called us to do. So you take care of that and we're going to get back to work. So that's external discouragement, obstacles and critics. And then there's internal discouragement. Now, sometimes the internal discouragement originates and circulates in this bit of real estate. I'm not gonna cover that off today, but some of you know, like, heck yeah. Discouragement takes up free rent inside here every single day. All right, well maybe you need to evict the tenants and get some better tenants in here, but we didn't have time to talk about that. But this is what happened internally. But soon word was going around in Judah. The builders are pooped. <laughs> the rubbish piles up, we're in over our heads, we can't build this wall. <clears throat> I was sharing with the team earlier in our locker room this morning, uh, this is potentially more insidious, what, what the dynamic that's going on here 
is potentially more insidious than the external opposition. Because this doesn't look like opposition. This looks like, well, everybody's pooped. Everybody's saying. Everybody's feeling. Everybody's thinking. Have you ever had someone say something like that to you? Every, okay, great. Me too. What a surprise. If you don't already have this tool in your toolkit, here's the tool to use. Who? Just, just ask that question. Like if you're a manager or if you're a parent or if you're a community leader or teacher or somewhere you've got a group of people and somebody, uh, an elected spokesperson, often elected by themselves, uh, comes to you and says, everybody's tired. You say, who? Well, I don't want to be a snitch. Okay, just give me a number. Well, I mean, okay, not everybody. Yep, sure, fine, okay. Didn't think so, <laughs> even though you just said everybody. Uh, give me a number. <sighs> well, me, uh-huh, yeah. Anyone else? Oh, yeah, uh, Bob. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, two people. Me and someone else, not named Bob. And the reason this is insidious is groupthink can kick in and spread like a virus that you and Bob are pooped, but everyone else is actually kicking it, like loving it. Like, because at this point in history, they were halfway done building the wall. They were like, man, this... The, the people that tried before, they didn't even get this far and we're already halfway there. And Bon Jovi chimes in and it's all happening. Yeah, they're all living on a prayer. Yeah. Rod, you tracking? All right, it's not Pat Benatar, but it's the best I could do at short notice. Wow, <laughs> Well, I can see we've lost a bit of focus here. Let's bring it back. <laughs> so rather than say to them, oh, really? Oh, what a shame. Let's just pack it in. Down tools. We're going to have a picnic. Because <clears throat> again, this might be true, but it's very rarely true of everybody, Right? In fact, this is one of the reasons God calls us to be the church together. Because yeah, look, if I took a little sample here, probably a few of you, a few right now, are a little bit discouraged. Might be something to do with the church, might be something in your family, in your business, with your health, with your finances, whatever. Could be like, likely some of you, I'm going to ask you to put hands up, but I'm just saying it's quite like, you know, just law of averages would suggest maybe a few people here are discouraged. But here's the thing, we're not all discouraged. And here's the great thing. If we find out that you're a little bit discouraged, we can actually encourage you. Which, by the way, that word means to put courage in. You'll feel like... <sighs> great. Can I pray for you? Is there anything that we can do for you? Is there something that we can help you with? You Look, let me check in with you during the week. Is that okay? Just to send you a, a text message to encourage you. 
Following Jesus is a team sport for a reason. Some of the builders are pooped. Okay, well, what are we gonna do about that? Well, Nehemiah did this. He spoke words of life and faith to them and said, put your minds on the master, great and awesome. In fact, in another version, this put your minds on the master says, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who took us out of Egypt. Remember the Lord who brought our ancestors through the wilderness for 40 years. Remember the Lord who gave us this city, this land in the first place. Remember the Lord who's brought us this far that we're already halfway done rebuilding the wall when nobody could even get near to this level of progress. Yeah, sure, we've still got work ahead. And here's one of the, the, the things that, that I strongly encourage people to do. And this is Nehemiah. Absolutely have your eyes fixed through the windscreen, looking ahead to what's next, what's more, what's better, what God's called you to do. And like any good driver, occasionally glance at the rear view mirror to see just how far God's already brought you and be encouraged by that because the same God that's brought you this far is very much the same God that's gonna be able to take you through to completion. Think back when God provided, protected, showed you favour, spoke courage into your heart. And of course, how far He's already brought you. And, and, see, this is a comma. And then, <laughs> fight. It's gonna be hard work. It's gonna get exhausting sometimes. We're halfway, how fantastic, and yet we still have the other half to go. So, and this is this duality that we live in, but this is a reminder. Following Jesus is sometimes a playground, and that's the bits we like, right? And it's sometimes a battleground. And just make sure you understand which one's which. <laughs> Don't take your guns to the playground, but don't take your shovel and sand bucket to the battleground. Just understand which ones, which tools fit for the job with the spirit that you're willing and able to fight all the way. Pizzo. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live, and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app.